good evening. It is good to be with y'all this evening as we join in this journey into darkness. Just a quick word before I get started here is that for me to help me meditate on the cross this holy week, I've been reading a book by John Stott called The Cross of Christ, which I would highly recommend to anyone. And it's been bouncing around my mind so much, it's so good that a lot of the thoughts I have to share this evening are indebted to that book. So if you are, if you enjoy these words, I encourage you to pick up that book at some point in the future, perhaps for next year. But having said that, let us uh, together embark on this journey into darkness. The Gospel of John begins in part by saying that the light has shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And indeed, one commenter on the Gospels observed that at the birth of the Son of God, there was brightness at midnight, referring to the angels that appeared to the shepherds. But then he goes on to say that at the death of the Son of God, there was darkness at noon. Indeed, when we come to this moment, it seems that for just a moment, the darkness has won, that the light has been overcome. And our invitation for this evening is to plunge into this darkness, quite literally in our case, as we contemplate the meaning of the cross. Now, if you're like me, that is not an appealing thought. Most of us make a habit of avoiding negative emotions. And moreover, for some of us, it might seem particularly exhausting because you might feel like you've been walking in darkness. Perhaps it's because the practices you had for Lent have been particularly taxing, or maybe it just seems like Lent from last year never actually ended as the specter of COVID continues to hang over all of us. Surveys show that about one in five people have lost someone close to them to COVID. But even if that's not true of us, we've all had to grieve the death of expectations as we've learned to mark graduations without celebrations, birthdays without parties, or senior year without senior prom. All the while we've endured another acrimonious election, witnessed the greatest civil unrest and cries for justice since the 1960s, and have put up with a constant barrage of both our news cycle and our news feeds. If that is the case, if you already feel overwhelmed by the darkness around us, I invite you all the more on our journey into darkness this evening because it means that we are in need of light. And just as the people who most appreciate life are those who've been closest to death, light shines brightest in the darkest of rooms. And the light of Easter will only shine as bright as the shadow of Good Friday is dark. So I invite you to contemplate the darkness of the cross with me this evening. And we are doing that in part 
by listening to what is referred to as the seven words of Jesus, the last seven words of Jesus. Someone's last words give us a view into their heart. And so this evening, we get to look into Jesus' heart. But to better understand his heart, we have to plumb the darkness of our own as we behold him on the cross. But first, a caveat is in order. As we go on this journey to look into the darkness of the cross, to look into the depths of Jesus' heart and the darkness of our own, we cannot do this as mere spectators. We must be participants. John Stott captures this uh, when he puts it this way. Before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. So as we enter into this journey, we are looking at this narrative not as outsiders, but as characters in the story, as if it is our own. Because before we rejoice at the light of Easter, we must sit with the darkness of Good Friday. And to do that, we have to rewind a bit. Right now, we've picked up where Jesus is already on the cross. And if you've been with us this past Sunday, you might remember we read the entire Passion narrative, which I'll draw on a bit here. And if you weren't there, if you don't remember it, that's fine. I'll provide a refresher as we go. So as we descend into darkness, beholding Christ, we're asking ourselves, how do we see ourselves and the characters before us? How have we in our own way betrayed Jesus and handed him over to be crucified? How have our voices joined in the chorus of those calling for his death? So in this narrative, one of the first people before we see Jesus on the cross, whom we encounter is Judas. He comes armed with soldiers to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And John says that Judas also knew the place where Jesus was, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Jesus often met there with him. Jesus spent time with him. Jesus knew him and loved him. Even when Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, Jesus still took his towel and washed Judas's feet. So Judas has felt the tender gaze of Jesus, and yet the riches of knowing Christ were not enough for him. Judas thought that some self-enrichment would be more important. So he gave away the riches that Christ had to offer. Now perhaps money is not your thing, but maybe you can be content with, but maybe you can relate to not being content with everything that Jesus has to offer us, to wanting to find something more elsewhere. And so maybe you can relate to betraying him for diminishing returns. Maybe we can find ourselves in Judas. But before we get to the cross with Jesus on it, we also see the chief priests. And never before has such injustice been done with such piety. When they hand Jesus over to Pilate, their governor, they make a point not to go into his house so they still, by their religious rules, would be able to keep their feasts. 
They show us the power of self-righteousness. We love being right, or at least I do. I love thinking how I'm better than other people, how I meet my standards, and pointing out those who don't meet mine. And we cannot stand Jesus because he exposes the truth about ourselves, that we are not as good as we in fact think we are. But no worries, we might be savvy spiritual people. We know how to explain things away, just like the chief priests knew that so long as Pilate was the one who killed Jesus, his blood wouldn't be on their hands. So we find ways to explain things away, to say how Jesus' words about loving our enemies or turning the other cheek or caring for the least of these somehow does not apply to us. So we find ourselves ignoring him because he exposes the part of ourselves that we'd rather not share with our friends, that we'd rather not share on social media, that we'd rather not even see ourselves. So they hand Jesus over so they wouldn't have to deal with that pain. John Stott, he puts it like this. He says, we resent his intrusions into our privacy, his demands for our homage, his expectation of our obedience. Why can't he mind his own business, we ask petulantly, and leave us alone? To which he instantly replies that we are his business and that he will never leave us alone. So we too perceive him as a threatening rival who disturbs our peace, upsets our status quo, undermines our authority, and diminishes our self-respect. We too want to get rid of him. In fact, if we look at the narrative of how Jesus got here, we'd see that these chief priests were so committed to this that they embraced the very things that they hate. The chief priests and Pharisees aligned themselves with Roman authorities who suppressed their worship. They put their weight behind a robber trying to free Barabbas instead of Jesus. Some of the Gospels also refer to him as a murderer or a word that could probably be best described as a terrorist. And they did this even though they demand utmost moral purity from everyone else. And so perhaps we can see ourselves and the chief priests. We also encounter Pilate. He knows that Jesus is innocent. The Gospels tell us that as soon as the chief priests bring him to Pilate, Pilate says, this man has done nothing wrong. But he doesn't do anything about it. He sees the injustice right in front of him. And he looks the other way. He tries to farm out responsibility by giving it back to the Jewish leaders. He tries to let the crowds have their say, hoping that they will choose Barabbas instead of Jesus to be set free. But in the end, he just doesn't have the strength to make the choice that he knew was his own. And he has his own excuses too. In fact, he was dragging his feet until the chief priests said he was going to betray Caesar if he didn't let Jesus go. And we all know that if you're a Roman governor, there aren't too many good job prospects for those who oppose Caesar. 
And so perhaps we can hear his justification in our own mind as he says something like, how could I be expected to do that? It would have cost me my job. Or maybe we can hear him say, had I done that, I would have upset all those crowds. Or maybe we just think that Jesus isn't practical and he doesn't understand the way the world works. And so we dismiss him and say, I'm not going to follow you. I don't care about you. Or maybe by blaming others, this is the fault of the chief priests. This isn't my responsibility. We can try to excuse ourselves from the injustice that's right in front of us. Now, there are others in this story as well. The soldiers could say that they were just following orders, that taking prisoners' possessions is just a perk of the job. The one criminal have said that he could have was just looking out for number one. It was nothing personal against Jesus. He was just trying to save his own skin. There are so many ways we can locate ourselves when we look at Jesus on the cross. And at the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity to do just that. We'll have space to ponder the darkness of the cross and to ponder the darkness of our own hearts. And so I invite you to do that and see how the Holy Spirit might be stirring in you the weight and gravity of our own sin that we all have to play in this story. But as we hear the last words of Jesus and see him hanging there, we may start to notice something. We can see how Jesus went to the cross not just because of us, but also for us. Not just because of what we have done, but because of who he is himself. For we plunge ourselves into darkness, not just to wallow in our own misery, but to wonder at his love. And we see that here, as we read about in his last words, how as he bears our burdens, he is comforting those who mourn. As he is being reproached, he offers forgiveness to those who scorn him. He does not pay attention to the insults of the mockers, but instead to the needs of his mother. And though he is dying without any comfort himself, he extends comfort and peace to his dying neighbor, to the criminal next to him on the cross. And he does this all while enduring the forsakenness of the father. He cries out, why, why God have you forsaken me? And he asks why, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because that was the text of the Psalm of the Old Testament that he was quoting. He says that because his descent into darkness, just like ours, has a purpose. We will later read him, we'll later hear how he says that he thirsts. And that reflects not just the physical agony that he's going through, but how he's trying to fulfill his mission. When we hear him say it is finished, he's not talking about his life, he's talking about his life's work. Jesus said he came into the world as light to shine, and Jesus said he came into the world as light to shine in the darkness so that those who believe in him would not remain in the dark. And as darkness descends over the earth, and as we descend into it ourselves, we can start to appreciate the fullness of his light. And only then, when like the centurion, 
that we will read about in the last word, only when we see what has taken place and see our role in it can we then turn to praise God and the fullness of what lies before us. In the words of John Stott, he says, as we face the cross, we can then say to ourselves both, I did this, my sins sent him there. And we can say, Jesus did this, his love took him there. But until then, we remain in darkness. So I invite you to contemplate the cross at the end of the service as one by one, we will leave in silence, just like Christ's own disciples did the evening he was betrayed as we await the Easter light.